friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. Word, so may I request everyone to please rise from their seats at this time, and we're going to take a look at Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 4 to 7 at this time. At the count of three, please. One, two, read. His radiance is like the sunlight, his rays flashing from his hand, and there is the hiding of his power. Before him goes pestilence, and plague comes after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan under distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we just give you thanks and praise for this wonderful Sunday morning. We thank you for the time we could worship you and bless your holy name. Indeed, it was a blessed time basking in your presence. And Lord, right now we pray that you might continue to manifest your presence through your word. I pray for myself that you might empower me, supplying me your wisdom, supplying me the anointing, O God, so that the message this morning might bring conviction upon our hearts and so that we might learn what it is to fear the Lord. We ask, O oh God, that your grace might abound in all of us. And we pray that those who have not yet accepted Christ as Lord and Savior might do so today. And for that, Lord, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, The Face of God's Glory. If you were with me last weekend in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 3, we talked about the glory of God. But the question I'd like to ask you at this time is, how does the glory of God look like? How does the glory of God look like? And I would like to submit to you that the passage that we have on hand will show to us the face of God's glory. And so what I would like to present to you are the three facets of the glory of God as presented in this passage. So here's the first thing that you and I will see. His glory is dazzling and powerful. Point number two is this. His glory can be destructive. And our third and final point is that His everlasting glory searches and judges the earth. And I pray that this message would truly be meaningful as well as fruitful in our case because one of the things that I have observed in so far as the 21st century church is concerned is that we have lost the fear of God. We have lost the sense of being in awe in the presence of the Lord. And I think this has been counterproductive on our part 
Because at times we simply accumulate biblical knowledge. We nod our heads. We say our amens. But hardly do we see transformation in our lives. And we need to make mention of the fact that when we do talk about discipleship, and Pastor Edmond Chan will be coming over, and hopefully he will be able to explain about the culture of discipleship. But here's what true discipleship is all about. True discipleship is about obedience. It's about submission to the Lord. And oftentimes I find that many believers unfortunately no longer fear God. They no longer fear disobeying God. They no longer fear uh, transgressing and trespassing the laws of God. They're no longer afraid when they commit sins against the Lord. And so most of the Christians nowadays basically go through the motions of Christianity but there is hardly any real transformation. Now my prayer to God is that as we study this passage, this might somehow bring a sense of being in awe of God. And not only that, I pray that we might learn how to fear God in our lives such that we find obedience, commitment, and devotion before the Lord. Now, when you think about the glory of God, we are thinking, or we are talking rather, about the unlimited power of God. Now, I just want you to think and pause at this moment and just think about what the unlimited power of God looks like. Now, from a positive standpoint, obviously, it is encouraging. It is comforting to know that we have an almighty and all-powerful God. And we know, therefore, that nothing is impossible with Him. We know that He will be able to meet whatever needs we might have. So from a positive standpoint, the glory of God actually is very encouraging. But on the other hand, if we understand the unlimited power of God, and we are going against God, we have become an adversary to God, we have become an enemy to God, the unlimited power of God should bring shivers to our bones. And I believe that what God is really saying in this passage is that nations, kings, and individuals should heed the call of God for righteousness, holiness, and purity because if they do not heed the call of God to holiness, they might face the unveiled glory of God. You and I do not want to be face to face with the wrath of God. And sadly, many times the wrath of God is hardly talked of right now in the church. We talk about the grace of God. We talk about the favor of God. We talk about the love of God. And yes, our God is amazing. He is a God of love. He is a God of kindness. He is a God of great compassion. He is the God of second chances. But we need to remind ourselves as well that our God is a holy God and He is a just God. And because He is a holy God and a just God, He needs to judge sins. He needs to judge disobedience. And herein is where you and I experience the wrath of God. And I think there needs to be a renewed commitment 
to preach this message to the church. Because we do not want to go through the motions of Christianity without really fulfilling our part in so far as obedience is concerned. Let us remind ourselves that the love of God has everything to do with obedience. A lot of times we think that, that love is, is an emotion. And, and we think that, you know, when we're singing songs, we're, when we're so high emotionally, that's loving God. Well, let me tell you this, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ did not define love in terms of feelings. Rather, the Lord Jesus Christ said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's how we display our love for God. So may I ask each and every one of us at this moment, how is your obedience meter to the Lord? How is it with you when it comes to trying to understand the holiness and the fear of God? How is it with you? Are you deeply affected? Are you deeply convicted when you sin against God? Do you feel the pain and the grief in the heart of God? And to offend His holiness. And I believe this morning we need to do some self-examination. Because you know what? We can go through all the motions of the Christian life. And yet, if there is no substance to what we are doing, everything that we are doing practically becomes pointless. Our singing becomes pointless. Our listening to the Word of God becomes pointless. Our service to God becomes pointless. Everything that we do in the name of Christ becomes pointless because there is really no substance. There is no real fear of God. There is no awe in the presence of the Lord. You know what? As we study this particular passage, I hope that this will somehow renew our understanding of the glory of God and that we might respond positively to an understanding of this glory. The first thing that we need to understand this morning is that the glory of God is dazzling and it is powerful. Let's take a look at verse 4 at this time. It reads, His radiance is like the sunlight, His rays flashing from His hand, and there is the hiding of his power. Let's break this down a little bit. It says here his radiance, which actually refers to his glory, is like the sunlight. Now let me just quote from a commentary just to put a proper perspective rather in so far as what sunlight brings on the table for us. So let me just quote. It says, the heavens are first tinted with early rays of the hidden sun. Then the earth is illuminated as the ball of fire appears over the horizon. And finally, everything is flooded with brilliant, glorious light. It is easy to forget that the light and the warmth which showers the earth with blessing comes from a ball of fire that could consume the globe in a moment. 
the ball of fire, which we call the sun, could consume the whole world in a moment. And yet, you know what? That is not really the most amazing thing about the sun. The most amazing thing about the sun is that it is merely a creation of God. And if we are already in awe of the power and the radiance of the sun, all the more should we be in awe of the power and the radiance and the glory of our God. Our God is glorious. And His glory here is being compared to the sunlight. But then again, as I mentioned to you, He is the creator of the sun that brings this sunlight. Moreover, it is said here that He has rays flashing from His hands. Now, what does this indicate? Well, this indicates that this radiance and glory are not imputed. They're not something that is credited to God. But it is something that is self-emanating. In other words, God Himself is glory. And what I recall here is the example of the Lord Jesus Christ when He was in Mount Hermon in Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 to 2. And He was transfigured before the disciples for the very first time. Peter, James, and John saw for themselves the glory of Jesus Christ. Previous to that, they had known Jesus, of course, as a great prophet of God. They had known Jesus as the Messiah. And even before that, they, they saw him as a carpenter, somebody who was raised from Nazareth. But you know what? At that moment, they saw the unveiled glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was transfigured before them. And then they began to understand who this Jesus really was. Let me just bring you to Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, as we take a look at this glory which is self emanating. It says here, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother. And led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Notice what happens here. And his face shone like the sun. And his garments became as white as light. You know, this was really so powerful. And, you know, we cannot even imagine the kind of power that these disciples were in touch with when the Lord Jesus Christ was transfigured before them. And as I mentioned to you, the glory of God is not something that was imputed. It came out of Him. Jesus Himself was the embodiment of glory. Big difference when it came to Moses. You probably recall the story of Moses when he was on Mount Sinai. And what happened there? Well, Moses was... In the presence of the Lord for about 40 days. And when he came down from the mountain, what happened? Well, the Bible tells us that the face of Moses was shining. It was shining because the glory of God was imputed on him, was imputed on his face. But then we are told by Paul in the New Testament that this glory 
was a fading glory. Now, why was it a fading glory? It was a fading glory because it was a glory that was simply imputed on Him. Big difference when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this glory that Jesus had emanated from Him. And that's why, friends, I pray that, that we might have this deep reverence towards our Lord, Master, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we're not having a transfiguration experience right now. Jesus is not with us. We're not in Mount Hermon at this time. And the Lord Jesus Christ's face is not being transfigured before us so that we could see that glory. And yet, my dear brothers and sisters, we know that our Savior is glorious. And I am praying to God that somehow through the words of this particular passage, our understanding of the glory of God would somehow be magnified because when we understand the glory of God, it's going to radically change the way we live. We will no longer be complacent. We will no longer be spiritual lazy. We will no longer be people of disobedience. We will no longer take sin lightly or casually. When we understand that we are in the very presence of God, we will bow our knee. We will raise our hands in worship. And every fiber of our being just is in awe of this presence. And that is my prayer. We have to relearn the fear of the Lord. We have to relearn our understanding of the glory of God. The glory of God is dazzling and it is powerful. Now notice here, let me just read this again. It says, His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from His hand. And there is the hiding of His power. There is the hiding of His power. Now what is this telling us? God's power is hidden in His glory. His glory is being restrained. Why? Lest it consume its beholders. Do you know what's going to happen to us when the full glory of God is going to be manifested right here, right now? You and I will melt in the very presence of God. You and I will not be able to survive physically the glory of God. This is the reason why God could not show His full glory to Moses because that was the prayer of Moses. He was saying to God, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And the Lord said to him, Moses, I can only show you my back parts because if I show you my full glory, you will die. We cannot survive the full glory of God. That is why God somehow has to hide that glory. But then again, friends, we have to understand that God is withholding himself from showing that full glory. I believe I was able to share to you that experience sometime, I think, about a month ago. When I experienced the glory of God, when I experienced these waves of love pounding my chest. And, and, 
you know what? I understood exactly what God was saying to Moses. Because at that very moment, I felt that if those waves of love did not stop pounding my chest, I would have died on the spot. And that's why experientially, vicariously, I know exactly what the glory of God looks like. And my prayer to God is that we understand it in a deeper way. I pray to the Lord that somehow we have this fear of God so that we might walk in obedience, so that we might yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is a gentle, is a gentle man. One of the symbols of the Holy Spirit is a dove. And the Holy Spirit lives and dwells inside of us. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. If you and I have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, that's one of the gifts that you and I have. And the Holy Spirit is a gentle man. The Holy Spirit is a gentle spirit. And, and He convicts us whenever we sin against Him. He, he is grieved and He is quenched whenever we sin against Him. And yet you notice that the Holy Spirit never twists our arms. He wants our cooperation. He wants our participation. He wants us to partner with Him in pursuing holiness and righteousness and purity. And yet, God will not make us robots so that we could obey Him. And how many times, how many times have we grieved the Holy Spirit? How many times have we quenched the Holy Spirit? How many times have we disrespected the glory of God? Try to imagine the bigness and the greatness of this God that we serve and how tiny and puny we are. Shouldn't we be responding in holiness? Shouldn't we be responding in righteousness and in purity? Friends, one of the things that we have to discover is God is not just mighty. He is almighty. Amen? Could you say to your neighbor, our God is almighty. Now here's the second thing about our study this morning. The glory of God is not only dazzling. The glory of God is not only powerful. But we have to be mindful of the fact that God's glory can be destructive. And where do we see that? In verse 5. It says, before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. A while ago, my son, uh, AJ, in the vlog that uh, we showed about uh, Caesarea Maritima, he talked about an incident that took place in the theater. You saw that theater, that, that very wonderful theater. Herod, the grandson of Herod the Great, uh, was able to speak in that particular place. And, and the people were in awe of his eloquence. They were, they were in awe of the words that was coming out of his mouth. He must have been a very charismatic person. And guess what the people said? The voice of God, the voice of God, and not the voice of man. 
And because he failed to give glory to God, guess what happened to him? The Bible says he was struck dead by an angel and this was recorded by Josephus, Josephus, a Jewish historical, you know, a Jewish historian. And he was a secular historian, by the way. He was not a Christian. And yet he affirms the fact that this exactly happened in history. That's the glory of God. It can be very destructive. We're also reminded of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Remember the church at that time was in a giving mood. People were selling their properties and they were giving all of the proceeds to the church so that the people in Jerusalem, the Christians in Jerusalem could be helped. They could be given food. And there was this particular couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who was moving together with the mob, they sold their piece of property and they were claiming that they were giving all the proceeds of their money and yet they actually kept back a part of it. What were they trying to do? They simply wanted credit. They simply wanted glory, but they were lying to the faces of the apostles and guess what happened to them? They died on the spot. One after the other, Ananias first, and then Sapphira next. Friends, let us, let us be mindful of the fact that God is no respecter of persons. Even Moses himself had to suffer because he failed to give God glory. Remember what happened? The Lord told him to speak to the rock so that the rock would produce water. And yet in his anger, what did he do? He struck he struck the rock, and as he struck the rock, what happened? God became angry with him, and God said to him, you will not be able to enter the land of promise. Moses, who had delivered Israel out of Egypt, failed to enter the land flowing with milk and honey. Why? Because he disrespected the glory of God. That's exactly what's going to happen. That is why we have to understand this. Yes, the glory of God is dazzling and powerful. There's nothing difficult with Him. He can heal us. He can provide for us. He can perform a miracle. He can do something that is stupendous. He can perform signs and wonders. And He can do that because He is God. But at the same time, we have to be mindful of the fact that this same God that we serve, who is almighty and powerful, could bring destruction in our lives. His wrath could be poured out in our lives and we can experience His judgment upon us. There needs to be a holy fear that needs to come back to the church in this 21st century. We are a distracted generation. There are so many distractions. There are so many temptations. And many times, these temptations and these distractions get the better of us. And we fail to understand that the glory of God can be destructive. Again, let me read verse 5. It says, before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. The Lord is so powerful, He can command pestilence before Him. 
Habakkuk saw that as God moved across the land, plague preceded him and pestilence. Literally, it could mean burning heat or even bolts of fire. The pestilence here may also be referring to some disease that is accompanied with a burning fever or it could also refer to the charring of the earth by lightning bolts. Now, how many here have, have experienced frightening lightning bolts? Could you raise your hands, please? You, you've experienced lightning bolts. I, I see my, my friend James raising his hand, and I recall a story that he shared to me. I think this happened in, in Vietnam. And at that time, he was not yet a Christian. And he was sort of challenging God, and, and there was this lightning that, that struck. It was, it was so powerful that it, it scared him. It terrified him. You know, let me just share to you what I got from, from one article. It goes, an example of God's handiwork is expressed in Job 28 verse 26. This verse tells us that he rules over the rain and decrees a path for the thunderbolt. Now lightning, listen well, has an impressive and terrifying power. Scientists have found that a single bolt, just a single bolt, can carry 100,000 volts of power. 100,000 volts of power. I mean, you and I know what what uh, electricity at times can do to us. We could be jolted. I recall my son, I think he was about maybe two or three years old at that time, my eldest son, TJ, and, and he saw, this, uh, he he saw this, this metal thing. And you know how, how children are, they're, they're very curious. So, so he saw the plug one time, and, and guess what he did? He inserted that metal piece, you know, into the plug, and, and as he did that, he was jolted. Thank God he did not die. But firsthand, he was able to experience the power of electricity. And, and that's not even comparing, you know, the power that, that a thunderbolt can, can give. 100,000 volts of power. Worldwide, lightning strikes the earth 360,000 times every hour. So the power of God is actually on display. July, by the way, is the most dangerous month for lightning. When lightning descends, it follows the easiest path to earth through a tree, a tall building, or an antenna. But it does not always follow a straight course. It can strike at any angle, even hitting where the sun is shining. Thus, there can literally be a bolt out of the blue. That's how powerful lightning can be. But then again, friends, where does it come from? Where does lightning come from? It comes from God. Can you imagine if, if God intentionally zaps you when you and I sin just like Ananias and Sapphira? Can you imagine if God just zaps you when you and I sin just like Herod who did not give glory to God. And yet God restrains himself. Why? Because the Bible says he is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. 
Yet having said that, my dear brothers and sisters, although our God is extremely patient, although God is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, it doesn't mean that He will be patient forever. It doesn't mean that He will withhold His wrath forever. Judgment time needs to take place because the God that we serve is a God of holiness and He is a God of justice. And we need to be mindful of that. This is what this verse is telling us. The Lord is so powerful, He can command a plague before Him. At His will, God can strike down His enemies with a plague. Again, we go back to what happened in the history of Israel while they were in Egypt. In the struggle of Moses against Pharaoh, what happened? Pharaoh refused to release the people of Israel so that they could worship God. And guess what happened? Ten plagues came upon them. And by the way, all those plagues were to challenge all the gods of Egypt. Each plague was actually an, an, an indictment of the many gods that Egypt had worshipped, showing to one and all that only God is the one and only true God. My dear brothers and sisters, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to be mindful that our God never changes. He is immutable. And therefore, when it comes to our dealings with God, we have to be mindful that we are not dealing with an ordinary human being. We are not dealing with somebody who is a mere friend. We're not dealing with somebody who is a mere human master or a mere human king. In our relationship with God, we are dealing with the almighty God who is the king of kings and lord of lords who created everything in this universe and in the galaxies that we have. We need to have a bigger picture of who our God is. God is fully capable of exercising His might. He is a terrifying God to those who oppose Him. Now, I've heard it many times said, God doesn't bring plagues. God doesn't bring typhoons. God doesn't bring calamities. God doesn't cause earthquakes. God doesn't cause pestilence. God doesn't cause plagues. I have heard it so many times by preachers of today saying that God never does those things. And what you hear people saying is that the devil is the one who does those things. He's the one who caused the typhoon. He's the one who caused the calamity. He's the one who caused the earthquake. He's the one who's, who's spreading all these diseases. Well, friends, my Bible is not saying that. My Bible is saying more, more particularly in this particular passage that it is, the, it is God Himself who is causing these plagues and this pestilence. And what this verse is trying to say to us is this God that, that we are serving is also a terrifying God. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament, we talk about grace and, and we think that the New Testament is all about love. It's all about grace. 
And yet the author of the book of Hebrews tells us and warns us, it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. My brothers and sisters, does it still bother you when you lie? Does it still bother you when you are not telling the truth? Does it still bother you when you happen to watch pornographic material? Does it still bother you that, that you have lingering anger and bitterness in your heart? Does it still bother you that, that you exercise infidelity in your marriage? That, does it still bother you that, that you have broken relationships? Does it still bother you that, that you have a lustful heart? That, that, that you have this materialistic, covetous, greedy heart? Does it still bother you? Are you convicted of your sins? Are, are you convicted when you fail to pray every single day? Are you convicted when, when you don't touch your Bible? Is there holy fear in the church? In the 21st century. If you and I want a, a genuine revival taking place. If you and I want a spiritual renewal. If we want miracle signs and wonders taking place. We better revere and respect the holiness and the glory of God. If we want God to perform over, above, beyond what we ask or even think of, we need to respect Him. We need to revere Him. Do we still tremble at the Word of God? When the Word of God is being expounded, do we feel the very words of God? Do we feel the impact of it? Do we understand the tenor of this? Do you, do you sense the tone of this particular passage? Do you feel it? Habakkuk was staring at the glory of God and he was scared. He was terrified. Let me just tell you this. God is not a little, as somebody said, he is not a little old man upstairs who dotes on people with sweetness and light. He is all-powerful as he is all-loving. His grace and glory are coupled with might and majesty. And when you understand that, these things demand holy awe and reverence from us. A while ago, you were singing songs to the Lord. And as you were singing, were, were you in awe of the presence of God? As we were singing about the lion and the lamb and that nothing could stop God, did you really feel that in your heart? As we were going through the worship, did you really internalize everything that was being sung and being said. 
And as you're listening right now to the Word of God, let me ask you, what are your thoughts right now about God? Are you, are you seriously reflecting upon this particular passage? Or is this merely intellectual stimulation for you? Are you just in search of some spiritual nuggets of which you can boast about among your Christian friends? Are you now beginning to seriously think, is there something wrong in my life? Is there an area in my life that, that I need to change? Is there an attitude that I need to change? Is there something I need to repent of? Because if there is something that God desires for His people, it is genuine repentance. You know, Christianity is something we can fake. We can fake it before people. And people can think we're all right and we're fine and we're spiritual and we're serving God. But you know what? There is nothing hidden in the presence of God. God knows everything about us. He knows our thoughts. He knows what's inside our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows our intentions. He knows if we're passionate about the things of God or we are lukewarm about the things of God. He knows where, when we're on fire and He knows when we're dry and He knows when we're cold. He knows exactly our, our spiritual state. He knows exactly where we are spiritually. And you know what? That knowledge of God should bring fear in my heart. The knowledge of God is so thorough. I cannot hide from the presence of the Lord. I can go to the darkest places and yet God still can still see me. I can, I can hide myself in, in a bottomless pit and yet God can still see me there. I can hide all my sins and put them behind a closet. Yet God still knows everything about me. And isn't it, isn't it amazing and incredible that in spite of our many sins and unfaithfulness before God, God in His goodness is still patient. God in His goodness is still slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Let me just warn you, this passage is telling us it will not be forever. The patience of God will not be forever. God will not continue to withhold His wrath from us if we deserve it. God is simply showing us His kindness. And why is God showing us His kindness? Because the book of Romans says His kindness leads us to repentance. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. Remember that story? They were trying to catch fish. They couldn't catch fish during the night. And that's the best time to actually catch fish because fishes actually go to the top during nighttime. But it was already daytime, still no catch. And Jesus Christ said to them, go fish. And you know what? Peter somehow 
felt in his heart, well, you're just a carpenter. I'm a fisherman, so I know what's best. But anyway, at their bidding, all right, I'll go. I'll go fish. And to his surprise, they caught fish such that the nets were about to be ripped because of the heavy load of fishes that they were able to catch. God showed Peter kindness. And what was the response of Peter? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. Hasn't it occurred to you that the kindness of God in your life, the provisions, the health, the prosperity, the abundance, hasn't it occurred to you that it is the kindness of God on display before your very life? And what is the intention of God? The intention of God is that you become grateful to Him. The intention of God is that you be able to see the kindness of God in your life. And somehow that would turn you to worship Him and be in awe of Him because of His loving kindness and His grace. This week, I had to, my wife and I had to comfort a dear, a dear mother who had just lost her son, very young age. And somehow it, it shows to us the fragility of life that there comes a time when God will just ask us to make an accounting of our lives, whether good or bad. And sometimes it is only when we're face to face with death that we have certain realizations about life. Sometimes we take that for granted. Do you know that, you know, in a moment, in a snap, we could lose everything. In a moment, in a snap, God could just take us home. We fail to realize the, the guarding protection of God upon our lives. I was sharing to the couple's ministry um, last night, and I was telling them, you know what? If not for the ministering angels that surround us, not many of us would be alive today. And that's the truth. God has sent His angels, His ministering angels to protect us. But you know what? If God would remove those, those ministering angels from us, we would, be, we would be dead meat in the presence of the evil one because the Bible says the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And so again, friends, let us be reminded it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Our final point is that the glory of God searches and judges the earth. Could you take a look at verses 6 and 7 at this time, please? It says here, he stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. 
I saw the tents of Cushan under distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. Let's break this down a bit. It says he stood and he surveyed the earth. What does that tell us? That God observes the ways of the world. Let me tell you right now, He's observing us. He's observing you while you are sleeping while I'm preaching. God knows that. Oh yes, friends, there is never a moment and never a time wherein the searching eyes of God are gone from us. The searching eyes of God are constantly on us. And He's constantly recording in His book all the good deeds that we do and all the bad deeds that we do. He's constantly recording the bad thoughts that we have and the good thoughts that we have. The good motives that we have, the bad motives that we have. The right responses that we have and the wrong responses that we have. There is nothing that is hidden in the sight of God. He's here right now, and He will be out there when you're walking, when you're driving, when you're in the restaurant, when you watch a movie, when you go back to your home, when you're in your, with your family, when you go to your offices. He's there constantly. 24-7, God is there. I recall reading this article, and it goes, Do you know about Lafayette? The great man who was the friend of Washington, he tells us that he was once shut up in a little room in a gloomy prison for a while. In the door of his little cell was a very small hole cut. At that hole, a soldier was placed day and night to watch him. So the only thing he was seeing from that hole was the eye of the soldier. But the eye was always there. Day and night, every moment, when he looked up, he saw the eye. And this is what he said. Oh, he says, it was dreadful. There was no escape, no hiding. When he lay down, when he rose up, the eye was watching him. What a beautiful illustration. The eye of God is always watching. Amen? Amen? Could you say to your neighbor, the eyes of God are upon you right now. Now, why are you smiling? Then it says here, not only did he stand and survey the land, the Bible says he looked and he startled the nations. He looked and he startled the nations. Nations that observe wickedness get startled with the judgments of God. What I recall here was what happened with Samson and the Philistines. If you recall, they were able to, uh, to arrest and imprison Samson. Why? Because Samson was, was a very weak person. He was a very lustful person. And lust got the better of him. He fell to Delilah. And so what happened was his hair was cut. By the way, the power did not come from the hair. The power came from the fact that he was keeping his Nazarite vow. And that included, you know, not cutting his hair. 
So it was disobedience that caused him to lose his power, not, not the losing of the hair. But having said that, however, he now became a laughing stock. Previously, they were terrified of Samson. You know why? Because he could pull up a gate weighing several pounds and several kilos, and he, and he would go up a hill carrying the, the, the gate of a city. Can you just imagine the strength of this man? I mean, he's stronger than Thor. He's stronger than, than Captain America. I mean, that's true. That's a real Superman right there. And so they were scared of him. And yet, when they blinded him, he became a laughingstock. And the Philistines said, bring Samson here. Let him entertain us. And Samson cried out to God and said, Lord, just this one time, redeem me, Lord. Give me back my strength. And at the moment that they least expected, Samson's strength was regained and he pushed against the pillars and thousands of Philistines died on the spot. That's what happens. Sometimes nations, when they least expect it, the judgment of God just comes. In a state of comfort and exaltation, they get the surprise of their lives when God brings His judgments crushing down. Furthermore, a mere glance at the nations, the Bible says, causes them to tremble. Literally, actually, from the Hebrew, this means leap in terror. Leap in terror. It says here, mountains are shattered. Mountains, based on the context here, is talking really or symbolizing nations. Nations would be shattered. Ancient hills, again, talking about established nations, collapse from their very foundations. The primeval mountains and age-old hills, the firmest constituents of the globe, crumbled to the dust. That's what Habakkuk was saying here. Thomas Jefferson wrote in 1874, listen, these are words of wisdom. I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that His justice cannot sleep forever. Let me say it again from Thomas Jefferson. I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that His justice cannot sleep forever. I say the same thing when it comes to our country. I'm really scared for our country. I'm really scared with the kind of disrespect and dishonor that our people are living in this country. King Canute, a Danish conqueror of Britain, was one day flattered by his courtiers about his power. Guess what he did? He ordered his throne to be put, all right, or to be placed by the seaside where powerful waves were crashing upon the rocks. And guess what happened? When he placed his throne on the seaside and, and the waves were coming in, he was telling the waves to stop. Obviously, the waves did not stop. 
hit him full blast. And guess what happened? He started to drown. This is what he realized. His courtiers were just flattering him. He was not really so mighty after all. Amen? None of us are actually mighty in the presence of God because only He is almighty. Amen? Only He is all glorious. Not only that, it says here, His ways, listen up, His ways are everlasting. God's powerful ways are everlasting. The age-old eternal hills collapse, but God's everlasting ways go on. God's power is perpetual and never, ever fades. Amen? God's power never, ever fades. Nations are fleeting. God is forever. Do you see the contrast here? Nations are fleeting. God is forever. Amen? And He will be forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. G.S. Bose comments on the futility of all worldly ambition which is not accompanied by dedication, dedication to God. Citing four great world rulers. This is what he writes. Alexander the Great was not satisfied even when he had completely subdued the nations. He wept because there was no more worlds to conquer. And he died at an early age in a state of debauchery. Hannibal, who filled three bushels with the gold rings taken from the knights that he had slaughtered, committed suicide by swallowing poison. Few noted his passing, and he left this earth completely unmourned. Julius Caesar, dyeing his garments in the blood of one million of his foes, conquered 800 cities, only to be stabbed by his best friends at the scene of his greatest triumph. They were not really best friends, were they? Napoleon, the feared conqueror, after being the scourge of Europe, spent his last years in banishment. Nobody is mighty. Only God is mighty. Amen? Only God is mighty. Let me end with verse 7. It says, I saw the tents of Cushan under distress. The ten curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. Now what is Habakkuk referring to? He was referring to the Exodus. You see, Cushan and Midian were the nations that lay on the either side of the Red Sea. And these nations must have heard what God did to Egypt, the powerful display of God's signs and wonders and miracles. And now Israel was headed their way. 
And they were trembling. The Bible is saying here that they were under distress. The ten curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. Even all the neighboring nations were scared. Because they knew. They were not scared of Israel because they were just shepherds. But what they were scared of was the God of Israel because he was fighting for them. Amen? And our God will fight for us if we walk in obedience. Amen? That is why let's be on the side of God. Amen? Let's not be found on the other side of the fence. Now references here to the people's tents and dwellings emphasize what? The precarious and fragile state, not only of nations, but also of individuals. Great nations fall under the distress of God and they are seen trembling before God. These statements declare the utter greatness of God. Let me just remind you of what Isaiah says. Nations are but a drop in the bucket. Remember what I told you? If you weigh a pail without water and put a drop of it, try weighing it again, there's no difference. There's no difference in the weight. And God is saying, you know what? Nations, big nations, they're just a drop in the bucket. So friends, listen up. This should give believers great comfort we usually get intimidated with bigness, but our God is bigger than the biggest, and our God is greater than the greatest. Amen? That is who our God is. So bottom line, bottom line, let's find ourselves on the side of God. We can either tap into the power of God, or be zapped by the power of God. Are you for God or against God? Either way, you would experience the glory of God, either good or bad. And I pray to the Lord that this sermon has brought something powerful into your heart. Let us all fear the Lord God Almighty, because the fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand, please. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I would like to address, first of all, the people who do not yet have a relationship with Christ. God is gracious. You cannot, you cannot question the graciousness and the love of God because that was on full display at the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ died because he wanted to pay the penalty of our sins. And he did. And he rose again to validate the fact that he had paid for our sins completely, past, present, and future. And so the offer of salvation is given to all men, all men, 
but not everybody will go to heaven. So the fault is not with God because this salvation is offered to all men. May I ask the congregation right now, is there anyone here right now who has not yet received the offer and the gift of salvation? If you have not yet done that, the offer is being made right now. I'm not making the offer. It's the Holy Spirit making this offer to you right now. And you know what? It's, it's not you changing yourself. It's the Holy Spirit changing you as you come in full and genuine repentance. But you have to repent for the Holy Spirit to change you. And you have to acknowledge that you, can, that you cannot save yourself. Only Jesus can save you. Your good works, your righteousness, they will never meet up with the standards of God. Your only hope is the cross. Your only hope is Jesus. So right now, the Holy Spirit is making you this offer. How many here this morning would like to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Raise up your right hand to the Lord, please. If you want to receive Jesus. Yes, sister. Amen. Amen. Yes, sister. Amen. Anyone else aside from these sisters? Yes. Anyone else? Yes, I see that hand as well. Amen. And another hand as well. Amen. Praise the Lord. I don't want to miss on anyone. Anyone else who would like to respond to the grace of God, the salvation that He offers, aside from these hands that, yes, sister. Amen. You can put them down right now. I'd like you to please pray this prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come before you. And please pray this prayer, please. Lord Jesus, I come before you. And I ask for forgiveness for all my sins. Lord, I know judgment is about to fall on my head. And I know if I do not turn to you, if I do not seek your face, if I do not repent of my sins, I'm a hell-bound sinner. So Jesus, right now, I accept your offer of salvation. I receive your sacrifice at the cross. Cleanse me and wash me from all my sins and make me the kind of person you want me to be. From this day onwards, I'm yours, Lord. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's just continue to bow our heads and close our eyes. The Word of God always demands a response. What I shared to you was not my Word. It was the Word of God. I'm actually of no use to you unless I preach the Word of God. And that's exactly what I did. I'm just a messenger here. Not trying to manipulate your emotions and try to scare you and terrify you. I just want you to understand the Word of God was spoken. 
not the word of man, the word of God. And you are not here by accident. God placed you here now. God wanted you to hear this message right now. And I know that there are some here, maybe even many, you've taken sin lightly and you've taken your relationship with the Lord casually. There's no longer any sense of awe, no longer any sense of fear. You're just going through the motions. But deep down inside, there's just hollowness, emptiness. There's no substance to your faith. Would you like it to stay that way? Do you feel comfortable that, that your heart is cold and that your spirit is dry? Do you feel comfortable with, with your sins and with your complacency and with your spiritual laziness? Aren't you bothered by, by disobedience? doesn't really matter whether you, you think there are some sins that are small and some sins that are big. In the, in the sight of God, all sins are an offense to His holiness. God brought us to life for Himself. I was meditating this morning on, on the book of Ecclesiastes. The second chapter there says that, they, that, that Solomon is saying, I, I built for myself. I collected for myself. I gathered for myself. Solomon, Solomon, for Solomon, it was just about I and myself. I and myself. And let me just ask you, is that your life? Is that your life? Because what I know and what I understand from Scripture is God created you. God gave life to you. God gave you salvation for Himself and for His glory. And only when you understand and realize that will you truly and genuinely be satisfied in your life and in your heart. There is nothing in this world that will ever satisfy except Christ. Christ is everything. And if today you want to make things right, you want to rededicate your life to Him, you want to let go of those sins in your life, I want you to, to make a commitment to the Lord. By His grace, by His power, not by your might, not by your power, but by His grace and by His power. And I want you to stand up. Just close your eyes, but stand up from where you are. I'm not asking everybody to stand up. I'm just asking those who want to rededicate their lives to God. Only if you want to rededicate your life to God. Only if you want to make things right. Only if you desire to be on fire and to be passionate for the things of God, if only you desire that, that God be the be-all and the end-all of your life, stand up from where 
you are. Lord, you know nothing that I do and nothing that I say is going to change anything in anybody's life. But today, Lord, I just chose to be your vessel, to be your conduit of the eternal message that you had let Habakkuk write. Your word has been spoken. I cannot change your people. I cannot revive your people. I cannot change the way your people think and the way your people act. I cannot make your people obedient. I cannot cause your people to be on fire. I cannot cause your people to serve you. Lord, I am relying completely on your word and on the power of your Holy Spirit. And you know, Lord, you know that only you can bring resurrection life into our hearts, O oh God. Only you, O oh God, can turn the coldness into the warmth and the fire of your Holy Spirit, O oh God. Only you can bring passion back into our hearts, O oh God. Only you can cause reverence and the fear of God. Only you, Lord, can manifest your presence, Lord, in our midst. Only you can change our lives, O oh God. And I ask you right now, Lord, by your grace and by your mercy, Lord, in your wrath, O oh God, remember mercy upon your people, O oh Father God. And I pray that the Holy Spirit right now will begin to move, Father God. Move in our hearts, O God. Move in our minds, O Lord. Bring conviction and bring genuine repentance, O God. Bring revival, O God. Set our hearts on fire, O God. Let your glory come right now. Let your glory come right now, Father. Can we just take this time to talk to God? Just, just you and God right now. Please talk to Him right now. Lord Jesus, let your word sink into our hearts right now, Father. And we just pray, Father, that we might come to the same realization as Solomon, Lord, in the book of Ecclesiastes. That everything under the sun is vanity and chasing after the wind. If our lives are going to have meaning, we have to look beyond the sun and see the sun, the S-O-N, the Son of God. And my prayer, Lord, our prayer is that you might cultivate the hearts of your people that it might become fertile soil for the word of God and for the Holy Spirit that our hearts Lord will receive your word with sensitivity and tenderness of heart and that we will respond 
to you, O God, and be in awe of your presence because you are glorious, O Lord. There is nothing and there is no one as glorious as you are, O Father. Your, your glory is dazzling and your glory is powerful. There is no one who compares with you. There is no one like you, O God. You have no rivals, O Father God. Give the Lord a hand, please. Oh, we bless you, Lord. We bless you, oh God. We bless you. We thank you, Lord. We also thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to, to bless you with our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings, Lord. Use them for the glory of your holy name. And Lord, as we depart from this place, let the spirit of worship continue on with us. Let it be from day to day and from week to week and month to month and year to year. Teach us to be faithful as we give you all the glory, all the praises, and all the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.